This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple-maker. Today's podcast features the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short, and their track about five key components of a disciple-making church. One of the RDN board members, Brandon Gindon, has taken the key components from this track and put them through the filter of disciple-making culture. He put this together in a book form, and it's called Disciple-Making Culture. The subtitle is Cultivate Thriving Disciple-Makers Throughout Your Church. This is a discipleship.org resource, and you can find the link to buy this book through our website. But we wanted you to know that we've created a free visual intro to this book that you can download for free. Just go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The book offers you practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple making, where it's something you are, not just something you do. So get the free primer to this resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode from RDN today is called Church Alignment. How does Sunday fit into a disciple making strategy and the rest of the week? Featuring Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, Bob Reed, and Luke Yetter. Here you go. Glad you're here. How many was at our uh, last session? Just out of curiosity. So really nobody. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just wondering how much I have to repeat of just, my name is Luke Yetter. I get to be our director of the Relational Discipleship Network. I'm also a pastor at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. And I'm very passionate about the topic of making disciples because I I came to know the Lord at a disciple-making church. The first couple churches I went to were primarily focused on Sunday. And I was fortunate enough to go to Real Life Ministries when they were small and got invested in, and I'm a raving fan of making disciples through Jesus' teachings and his methods. And so we've covered a variety of topics. You know, each session kind of has a a ring on a tree. And so we talked about spiritual maturity. We talked about intentional leadership, relational environment, disciple-making process, and now we're on alignment. And so the alignment has four components, as you can see. If you raise your hand, if you do not have one of these, because there's some graphics in there. Okay, keep your hand up. Keep it up and we'll find uh, somebody's handing out on both sides. Just keep your hand up and we'll get you one. We're going we're gonna to be on page eight. Has that graphic. So here's the format. Jim's going to share for about 15 minutes on this topic. Then Mr. Bob Reed is going to share about 15 minutes. And then we've asked uh, Joel to come and join us up on the panel. And we're going to shift to a question-answer panel. And so you have these little cards. Um, If you have any questions, write write them down. We'll try to bring them up here and get them answered in that last 15 minutes. If we get short on time, we'll just ask you to raise your hand and what's your question. We'll try to answer it. All right. You also have this on your table. If you're up there, you don't have it, but if uh, you want to come down and get one, great. What this is, is if you have an interest 
in, if you, if what you're hearing makes sense and you're like, man, I really want to go in that direction. Um, let us know and we'll contact you. This is like a next steps thing. Fill out your info, leave it on the table. We'll pick it up. Okay. So Mr. Jim Putman, if, uh, if you weren't with us in any of the sessions before, Jim planted Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho about 19 years ago. And it grew really fast as we were doing his, as he's doing his best to figure out what does it look like to make disciples of Jesus, invest in one another, do the best uh, model that Jesus gave us the best he could, not perfectly, but I'll tell you what was cool is it grew really fast, became one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And then he planted a variety of other churches. When those churches were planted, they, they did the same model, want to walk out relational discipleship. And Jim's authored a variety of books, has a very strong passion for making disciples. And when it comes to alignment in these four areas, a lot of this is a variety of, well, he put the four in there. Jim, can you do your best to kind of walk us through, what do you, when we talk about these areas of alignment, what does that mean? Well, good morning. Uh, how many of you are new here today? Awesome. Great to have you. Let me just share this with you. Uh, we've been, this is our fifth and last seminar, and each of them were kind of built on the previous. So you're kind of coming in at the end. We started with, uh, it's like a journey. If you're going to be a disciple-making church, a disciple-maker, you got to have the right destination. Or you, get, you end up at the wrong place. And that's important because Jesus said about the Pharisees, you you, uh, when you make disciples, you make more sons of hell than you yourself are. In other words, you can make disciples, but make the wrong kind of disciples. A blind man following a blind man, they both fall off the cliff. You got to have an accurate understanding of what maturity in Christ, what discipleship is. Then we talked about an intentional leader and a relational environment. So it's like the car, the relational environment, the vehicle led by a driver, an intentional leader on a journey to this spiritual maturity. Right. Then we talked about in the last session, the, the road, SCMD, Share, Connect, Minister, Disciple, Reproducible Process. Jesus took his disciples through to get to that destination. So those are the things that you've missed. Now we're going to talk about organizational alignment. And there are four areas of alignment that have to happen in a church. And this is, let me just back up for a minute. Um, how many of you have ever been on a team or seen a team that was super talented but didn't play well together? Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland Browns, exa great example. <laughs> right? Then there are teams that are less talented, but because they play so well together and they fit together and they, they, they're, they're all about the team, not about individuals, they actually can win, right? That's, that's a cultural alignment that's happened. Uh, and, 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 and so Jesus made it very clear, things like this. A house divided against itself cannot stand, right? Uh, the Tower of Babel is a great picture of people that have all kinds of ability, and they can do anything. You change one thing in the picture, and they can't do, the, do their job the next day. What was the one thing? Language. Um, this alignment is very difficult with broken people, of which we all are a part. And so this concept of, of this as a, if you just get alignment down right, you get the right philosophy, the, light, the right theology, the right 
relationships, the right organizational structure together. If we just did this, we'll all be aligned. Here's the problem. Uh, that's true. The problem is wherever you can have whatever system you want, as soon as you put people in it, it's jacked up. So this isn't a thing you accomplish. It's a pursuit. It's aspirational. It's something you keep seeking for, which will mean that you have to die to yourself because wherever you go, there you are, and you're your biggest problem, just like me. So this is something that we're going to talk about, but it's kind of like I use the ranching. Where I come from, there's ranches, fences. You put up the fences, you put your cattle in there, and you think, well, everything's good. No, cattle are stupid, and they go right through the fences. You have to run the fences. Things, elk, moose, deer, they go through the fences on the other side. Not only do you have people, but you have the devil who's constantly working against your alignment. He's a divider, a separator. All right, so when I say this, I want you to understand this is aspirational if you don't pay attention to it constantly. Um, Which is why your people don't necessarily need to know new things. They need to know the things they know so well. They eat, sleep, and drink it. And then just because they know it doesn't mean they'll keep doing it. They need to be exhorted, uh, held accountable to constantly. That's why when you start trying to figure out a way to teach these new things and new ways and new stuff all the time, it's in any sport. Uh, you know, as a national championship team, in, you know, college All-American, in college, after winning three state titles, they come in and go, here's what we're going to do. I'm on a national championship team. Here's a stance. Get in a stance. The key to winning is a stance. Aren't you going to teach me some new thing I didn't know? Nope. Basketball. Fundamentals are fundamentals. You win with fundamentals. You get too fancy, you lose. You don't get people together, you lose. It's one of the reasons I wrote Church as a Team Sport. Those principles are all biblical. Make sense? So when when you're talking about organizational alignment, there's four different kinds of alignment. There's relational alignment, meaning, and this is the toughest one, People get their feelings hurt. There's miscommunication. If you're going to be aligned, it doesn't mean one guy's on top telling everybody what to do. You have to have a shared language, and you have to fight for it. Uh, One of the things, I I can't stand it, but the New England Patriots, I can't stand them winning. But, But let me just tell you this. They have a culture. Bill Belichick doesn't have to be there. They will not allow things on their team. That, that are detrimental to them winning. And it can come from anybody. It's self-protecting, self-correcting. All right? Relational alignment. You don't stay together and fight for relationship and don't let the sun go down on your anger. And again, I said this a few times. A lot of our Christians are all about theology, theology, theology. And then they don't want to talk much about uh, confessing sin to one another, forgiving one another from the heart. Don't let the, that's all optional. But the theology, that's essential. We all know that people that share the same theology never have a problem with each other relationally. <laughs> when it comes to philosophical alignment, that means that there's a lot of way in football. There's a lot of ways to play football. You've got Veer, you've got uh, West Coast offenses, you've got the 4-3 defense. You've got all different kinds of, their rules are the same, but you've got to philosophically agree on how you're going to do it because if you try to do the West Coast offense 
and the veer offense at the same time, you don't do either one and it doesn't work. So when we're talking about philosophical alignment, uh, this is how we're going to do what we're going to do because we got to do it together. We got to be a team, right? We got to run the same play at the same time. And, and we could choose that one way over there of making disciples too, but this is the way we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to do it. This is the language we're going to do it because if we're not together, uh, it, you know, philosophically, then we don't win. Make sense to you? It's not a salvation issue, but we don't win. Right? I'll give you an example. When my kids moved from one city to the next city in our region, I went, they wanted to play football. I go, they have a big meeting. They pass out the playbook. They pass out the schedule. They introduce the coaches. They show us the playbook. They show us what kind of offense they're doing. In the old school we went, we went to a different, we had a different offense. The rules are the same. Football is football. They just run it different. Different schedule, everything else. As a parent, what if I said, hey, I want you to practice at these times like the old school did, and I want you to run their playbook. What would they say? Go back to Coeur d'Alene. This is what we do here. Right? If you try to do what everybody wants you to do, you do nothing well. So there's philosophical alignment. There's theological alignment. What I mean by theological alignment is here's where we stand. Let me give you an example. There are all kinds of what I call first bucket issues. Those are, you're not Christian if you don't agree with these. Right? Trinity. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Real heaven and hell, all those things, right? Then there's second bucket issues. There's a truth about it. Charismatic gifts. In our church, and I'm not telling you you should do this. We're, we're not a charismatic church. We have charismatics in the church. So what we would say is, hey, you want to speak in tongues? There's a great place for you to do that. The closet. We have no place in our church where the charismatic gifts are going to be promoted where they're gonna, you're not going to speak in tongues in the worship weekend services, and you're not going to do it in home groups. You want to do that? That's a private thing. Why? Because it's, it's a non-salvation issue. We have on our staff those who speak in tongues, those who don't. Now, we're going to be clear about that because that issue is a very divisive issue. We don't want a secondary issue dividing our church from reaching people for Jesus Christ. So we're clear on that. So that you know when you come in, and we have a one-on-one class that says, here's what we believe, here's how we stand on first bucket, here's how we stand on second bucket. You could, Before you get involved in ministry in our church, you have to go through the one-on-one class. That's our playbook. You have to know what we play, where we're going, why we're doing. If you don't agree to that, then you can't serve in our ministry. Why? Because I believe it's a salvation issue? No. Because if we don't get on the same page about that, it will become divisive in our life groups. I'm going to have a life group fighting about the, you know, eternal security or one of these secondary issues instead of how do we make disciples teach people how to love God and love others? How do we reach the lost? We're going to be so busy, exhausted, fighting about secondary issues. We're too tired to walk across the street to help that guy who just found out his wife has cancer. I'm just so tired from the ministry because I'm exhausted from fighting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're going to be very clear. Here's how we're going to play. You don't want to play. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. There's a church right down the street that already believes that. You go down there. Because we're going to be unified. Okay? And again, 
Can we talk about those issues? Sure, but it's a secondary issue. It's not a salvation issue. So it shouldn't rise to the level of uh, we have to divide and separate and, and fight like the devil for the things of God. Right? Here's a third, a third bucket issue. Uh, eschatology. I think there's a truth about how it's all going to play out. This is kind of where I stand scripturally. This might be, but here's the deal. Uh, in the end, I think we might all be a little surprised. Just a little bit. And, and on the way up, here's what I'll do. I'll be going, see, I was right. As we're on the way up. See what I'm saying? There's got to be some clear boundaries. When it comes to organizational alignment, that means that all the systems are aligned up in such a way that they equal our goal. It's like, a, I want you to imagine factory where, you know, you've got something coming out of this and it feeds into this and it feeds into this. And, and, and what you're, imagine that you, you created a Volkswagen bug factory and all the pieces are aligned up. But at the end of the day, the first thing that comes out is a vacuum cleaner. You got a choice. Somehow the pieces went together to create a vacuum cleaner instead of a Volkswagen cleaner or Volkswagen bug. So now you got to go, all right, Either we, we change the name of the factory to a vacuum cleaner factory, or we go in and figure out what went wrong. If we're trying to create disciples, how does every process feed into every other process? So that at the end of the system, it equals people who actually come out aspiring to growing in what we were shooting for. So we have a weekend service. Where's the, what, where does that weekend service go? What happens in that weekend service that moves them to the next step? Not accidentally, but intentionally. What do we want them to do? The decision is we want them to know Christ and become a disciple of Jesus in relationship. So how does that fit? How do you tie your processes together with your individuals and your systems in the foyer so that at the end of the day, you are measuring and moving people towards relational environments when they get to the relational environment? What if in the relational environment, all they're turning in is to little clicks socially that aren't actually reproducing and doing those things? Well, you, you have a system and you have a place here where the leaders in that place don't really understand what they're doing and you're not producing what you value. So, so how do you know what's being fed into is producing, at the end of the day, somebody who is mature? And you have to line these things up organizationally, everybody understanding their part, everybody understanding the goal. If you don't do all of this, then you just it, there's just miscellaneous things being produced. And again, people can choose to do what they want. It's never going to work perfectly. Balls are going to be dropped. But it won't be because you didn't plan. It'll just be because you enter the devil, you enter people into it, and these things still happen. But are we doing what we're called to be doing? And is it all lined up? And is everybody on board? Do we have the same goal, the same language, the same? You see, you see what I'm saying? You know, and by the way, is this biblical? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another, being of one mind and one thought. It's all biblical. Okay, so was Paul always saying, listen, uh, was, he, was he dealing with people that were making too much of eating certain day things and on certain days and saying, hey, that's a secondary issue. If your conscience says that, keep it to yourself. Right? 
That's between you and God. But don't judge another man's servant. Were these kinds of things all designed to keep the team, the body, the family? Organizationally, there's nothing wrong with organization. As you start to make disciples and make disciples, more people come. And with more people come means that God has to give the gift of administration and organization to organize this so that there's something produced in the end. It doesn't happen unintentionally or accidentally. I'm not for organizations, you know, some people want to organize something that they don't even have a need for because they have no disciples being made that are growing so that organization is even necessary. Right? But as you are working together, unified, one body, one team, pastors understand their role. They're equippers of the saints. So trying to help people understand, be equipped, but work together as a part of the body of Christ. And you're putting these things together in such a way that the end, what you value is being produced. That's what we mean by organizational uh, alignment. These four things, your processes, things you're doing, takes these things into account, unifying us as a bunch of individuals into a team. Love it. Thank you, Jim. All right. Bob Reed. Bob Reed was a senior pastor at uh, Fort Myers, Florida, at a church uh, called Riverside. And I don't know if you heard some Bob's story earlier, but I'll just recap it. He went to, he went to that church, has a strong desire to uh, help shift that church, bring about alignment. You were there for about seven, eight years, really helped that church walk out and start facing the direction of disciple making. And you, you enjoy a challenge. You enjoy uh, leading that change. And so you uh, got recruited to go to uh, Sci Life and, and do the very similar thing there. And um, so you've had to shift two cultures and intentionally bring about alignment. Would you be willing to share some things that are just practical things to bring about alignment you've had to do? Yeah, so I think the, you know, as you, as you think about the, if, the, if the end goal is making disciples who make disciples, and our, our mission statement is to make and send disciples who love and live like Jesus. And so that's our goal. That's what we're going after. And so we've been talking about what are the five components of becoming a disciple-making church. So if you want to be a disciple-making church, which is what I wanted to be uh, and lead, was so we've we've talked about the you know there's got to be a biblical foundation right that's what we stand on that's what we where we come from you got to have an intentional leader uh, you got to create a relational environment we just talked about the reproducible discipleship process that was the last session and the, this piece can often be kind of just kind of dismissed not really given a whole lot of weight but this is significant everything that Jim just talked about is huge. And you will spend, if you're trying to transition a church, you could easily spend a few years just trying to bring all this kind of alignment. Because if you don't and you try to do it quickly, you will blow up your church. And for a guy like me who wants to go fast and get things done yesterday, uh, it's incredibly difficult to go be patient and to walk this out slowly because you, can, you really need to understand the pace 
of your people and to be able to navigate these through conversations with love with people, realizing where you need to get to. They might not be there, but what's it gonna take for you to walk this out graciously, patiently, spurring them on, so forth. So as you think about relational alignment uh, and you think about each and every ministry that you have in your church, what does it look like for you to do this? Just Let's just start with you. What does it look like in your schedule? For you in your schedule to value relationship, what does it look like in your personal schedule to uphold the value of relational alignment, right? That you're going to bleed this, you're gonna live this out. This is, not, again, not something that you, I mean, I'm busy. You know, you, the rest of you guys need to do that, but I've got a lot of meetings. I've got to do a lot of stuff. Even though those are true, what does it look like in your own personal schedule? How do you uphold that for the rest of your staff? Do you demand that they're in the office from this time to this time and you're gonna make sure because there's things to do, which is true, but how in the world are you going to walk that out with them? How are you modeling that? And for you to just to say to your staff and to your elders, hey, just do what I've done with you. Because if they haven't experienced it from you, it's gonna be incredibly difficult. And then if you're not giving them permission, if in fact, you're expecting them. There are times when I tell you, I'm like, why are you here? Well, we've just got, I, I agree, but where are you, why are you not with your people? Like, what does that look like? And so, so as you think through the relational alignment piece, how does that flesh itself out all the way through your church, all the way through every single ministry, your kids' ministry, your student ministry? It, it, I, re, I remember when I was a student pastor and, 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 uh, and I was wanting to get on campus, but yet there was an expectation that there was all these other things. And I'm like, man, I've got to be freed up to get where kids are. They're not going to show up to the church building. I've got to meet them where they are. But if the expectation is I'm always at the church, there's, there's, there's this total, there's a misalignment for what we say is we value, but yet what we expect is something different. And so as you think through that component and thinking through how are you walking that stuff out with your team, how are you uh, doing that? One of, the, one of the books that we used uh, to help our, both our staff at, when I was at Riverside and also at SciLife is we, I took them through The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. It's a great book. Um, and what, what we found, especially at, at, at the church I'm at now, um, one of the things that we did is we walked through that book and it gets to a part in that book that talk, talks about getting naked, all right? And what he's talking about is being vulnerable, really knowing each other's story, all that kind of stuff. And, and we took a number of weeks for each staff member and I said, and I'm gonna go first because I wanna, I wanna uh, model the depth of what I'm expecting everybody else to go. And so I'm gonna go real deep and share my story, the hurts, the pains, the struggles, all of that kind of stuff uh, because I don't want there to be any confusion on, on the expectation of transparency for anybody else. And so if I'm willing to share at that depth, it, it gives everybody else permission. In fact, the staff even shared that later. They're like, listen, you were willing to go there, then there was nothing else we could hold back. And so as we walk through that, here, here are conversations our staff said. I've never shared pieces of that story with anybody in my life. I mean, there were tears Staff that had worked together before that had no clue, no clue about that, about other teammates that they had had, never had any idea. And all of a sudden, then they started fighting for each other because they knew each other's story. 
and they knew some of the hurts and some of the pains, things that they would be sarcastic about and maybe tease about. Now, all of a sudden, they realize why that might create hurt. And now we're not going to go there anymore because that would have been incredibly hurtful. And why would we do that if we're fighting for a relationship, not in relationship? Because now there's a relational alignment. But if you don't slow down and really spend the time to pour in and invest in relationship because it's a, it's a major priority. It's a value for us. It's, we've got to be aligned at the staff level. I have to do the same thing at an elder level. And when there's misalignment, like I've experienced before, especially at the elder level, man, there's consequences to that that you have to then navigate because you didn't spend the time. I didn't spend the time back at Riverside for a couple years in that piece, and there were prices to pay for me. Because I just, I just got tired of the battle. I got tired. I can give you all the excuses. The reality was I just, I didn't do a good job there. And so I had to, had, I wanted to make that right. And so again, when you think through relational alignment, those are components that you've got to work through it to be able to uphold. And now you're, and after when, and you're doing that with your teams and now you're saying, listen, I want you to do what I've done with you. Now go do that with your volunteers. Go do that with your staff. Go do that with the people that you're leading because we want to be aligned in that thing. And so when we have language like fighting for relationships, staying curious, we're going to choose trust. Andy Stanley talked about this. You could choose trust over suspicion. I'll give you a quick example of, of the alignment piece. My wife uh, is an incredible disciple maker. We ended up hiring her um, to, because she's just super gifted at what she does. And so she uh, was, uh, it was leading um, this one lady, in our, in, uh, she's in our small group, but they're partnering with another ministry that the lady who leads it is in our church of helping uh, teenage moms, Okay. And this one lady wasn't showing up and she was, you know, then she'd show up late. And so the, the lady that was the director was like, you know what, this can't happen anymore. We're tired of making her making excuses. She just is not allowed to serve. And so she was telling Sue, hey, you're going to need to let her know. And so Sue, out of kind of some haste and some whatever, she's just like, hey, listen, you're not going to be able to do this anymore because blah, 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 blah. Well, this, this woman in our small group that Sue had to tell this to was incredibly hurt, really upset, infinite best, Right. But Sue knew afterwards she blew it. And she was in t- she's like, I know better. We never handle anything like that relationally. Why did I allow the pressure from this other person for me to go against what we uphold relationally and, and supersede that to just telling her she can't do it versus coming alongside of her and coaching her, holding her accountable, making sure she's clear on the expectations and navigating all this. So she then has to go back and clean up the mess. And she says, listen, will you forgive me? Because I blew it and I did not handle this correctly with you. And I am so sorry, will you forgive me? And then helping navigate and work back and then had to call the director and say, hey, listen, we don't handle things like this. I want to help you understand why this is such a value because she's in our, in our church. And so, listen, this is what we uphold. And, and, and again, it's walking through all this stuff. And sometimes it takes a while. But when you have alignment and understanding, all of a sudden, not only can you speak a language, but now you're going to bring unity. Now, three people understand greater because they just had to walk through the pain of what we uphold relationally. Does this make sense? So when you, as you think through philosophical, as you think through theological, Jim talked about organizational, when you start thinking through your budgets, 
when you start thinking through your finances, when you start thinking through your staffing, does it align with what you say you wanna be? So if you wanna be a disciple-making church, if I look at your calendar and I look at your budget, does it align? We tell this to our people in our church, right? We can say, I can tell you what your priorities by your calendar and by your checkbook. Well, the same thing is true for you. I can tell you what's important to you by looking at your calendar and, and your budget. So does your staffing represent that you're a disciple-making church? Does your calendar represent that you're a disciple-making church? Or does it represent that you are a program-driven church? That we're a Sunday-focused church because we got a lot of resources that go to make Sunday happen, but with, for discipleship, it's very little. We got one person that oversees small groups and discipleship, but we want to be a, a disciple-making church. What does it look like for us to give the resources? And the, so for, for us, was we take our staff through, we go back to what's the mission? To make and send disciples who love and live like Jesus. Okay. So now as we start working towards our goals and objectives, which then drive the budget, what does it look like to keep the priority, to keep the main thing, the main thing? And then guess what? So I had our staff, I wanted to see where they were. So I had our EP, our executive pastor do a lot of the exercise. I said, okay, then I want you to bring back to me the calendar and the budget. And I wanna see where our staff is. I wanna see where our team is. Are we, are we upholding what we say is most important? Because this is, and then I, then I was able to say, well, where's this and where's this? And why didn't we do this? Hey, great job. You guys knocked it out of the park. But over here, we're, like I, I talked to our, our, our student pastor and I talked to our, our kids directors. And I said, you guys did a great job. I love this, this, and this. But we say parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. So where are we equipping our parents to do that? Where are we giving them resources? Where, how are we going alongside of them and making sure that they know how to utilize those resources? We say this, we believe this, but yet in the budget and in your calendar, I don't see any of these meetings that are gonna equip parents to be able to do this. And we can't, and then there was the pressure, oh, do we need to do this for our you know, parents and do we, or for kids and this and this and this? I said, well, we say parents are the primary disciple makers, but then you put in the calendar all these things that make you the disciple maker of their kids. So we can't, so we, excuse me, so, so we have to stay aligned as we navigate through all this stuff. One of the things where our staff, I'll, periodically, they'll come into staff meeting. I say, everybody take a piece of paper and you can always hear the groan. Oh, right. But it, here's what it does. When we go back to intentional leader, it, it gives me, Jim mentioned this last, the, the, the last session, Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as, as, as an intentional disciple maker, as a, as a leader, as a pastor, um, as a mom, as a dad, I'm always listening where my kids are, where my staff is, where my elders, all those kind of things. So I understand where they are so I can help them take the next step. So what helps me with knowing with alignment, especially with our staff, is like, I wanna make sure that we're all in one accord. Like, we're all aligned. Like, when we leave here, if they were to talk to me, if they were to talk to our student guy, if they were to talk to our children, if they were to talk to our worship, our tech, you know, all this, would they be able to get the same message? So I'll say, take out a piece of paper. I want you to write out, what's our mission? What's the definition of a disciple? What passage do we get it? I want you to walk me through. I want you to literally, I'll have, I want you to draw the wheel. I want you to fill in all the spots. I want to know, do you know, can you explain the SCMD? Can you help navigate wherever they are on the wheel, depending on where they're at? And what are our values? 
just because I want to see, are we aligned? Because if you, you, you can know it, but if you can't articulate it, you're not helping people. And so as, as, as we look at where our staff is, do we look at where our elders, one of the conversations I had with our elders recently, actually it was a few months ago, and I said, guys, where do you think we are? How, how do you feel like we're doing as far as making disciples? Well, you know, I've, I've heard this and this is good and blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, so we've made sure everybody on our staff, and it, this wasn't a requirement when I first got there because they had no idea. They'd heard the language of being disciple makers, but they had no clue. None of them, none of them, like one guy, take that back. One guy was making disciples. So just walking through all this stuff and helping them experience. So I started meeting with them every week and just pouring in and discipling them and caring for them and shepherding them, having to our house and just, again, just spending a lot of time. Then walked through a number of different resources. We went through the white workbook as a staff, all that kind of stuff. And here's where we set the goal. At the end of December, this was over a year ago, at the end of December, every single one of us is committed to making a disciple, at least one. Everybody's like, absolutely. And I let them set the goal, all that kind of stuff. So we, we kind of navigated through all that stuff. And so now all of them, every single one of them to this day, and as part of the, when they meet with me, I say, hey, where are they? Tell me who you're discipling. I want to make sure they know that, that that person knows that they're being discipled. Where are they on the wheel? Like, how, what are you doing with them? What, what struggles, what challenges, right? And so I know our staff is. I know Derek, our small groups guy, uh, as well as Sue, and, and uh, we're getting ready to hire another one, uh, is that that's a big thing that they're doing with their leaders. And so I'm talking with our elders. And I said, guys, I want to know who you're discipling. And so they were sharing who they're discipling. I said, now our, we, have a, we also have deacons in our church. So I said, how many of them have been discipled? Because I know some of them, I have no idea why they're even on the deacon board. And so I said, I want you guys. I said, I'm discipling two of those guys. I know another deacon is being discipled by our student pastor. And I said, I want to make sure every single day, if we're going to have layers of leadership, I want to make sure every single one of them is either being discipled or being a disciple maker. So are you guys committed? Yep, absolutely. Okay, who are you going to take? Who are you going to take? Who are you going to take? So you pray about it. Next time we meet, I want you to come back. And I share all that to say, as you think about your schedule and as you think about your calendar and you think about your budget, this alignment piece, you're never going to become a disciple-making church if you don't keep this in front of you and making sure, like, again, missions, where are we? Who are we supporting? How are we aligned missionally, locally, and globally? Are, are the people that we're supporting going after making disciples and that, we, that, that, that would align with how we believe we need to make it happen? And so every aspect of our church if we're going to be a disciple making, if that's the target, which we believe it is, relationally, philosophically, theologically, and organizationally, that we make sure that we hit the target. Make sense? All right. All right. Thank you, Bob. So hopefully you're picking up on this one key thing. If you want a disciple making church, you can't fit all of your discipleship and all your disciple making in on Sunday, right? However, Sunday has a very good place to be a disciple making church if you look at it with the whole week. True? So I say that because the philosophy of having a disciple making church is looking at all the days of the week, not trying to say, man, we're going to get it all done on Sunday. Sunday plays an important part, 
but you have to have these four areas as you're looking out at the whole week. Totally different approach. Hey, I'd love to have uh, Joel Owens. If you would come up here, Joel. Joel is uh, with, with a, a Grace Fellowship out of Kingsport, Tennessee. What I love about Joel is uh, he, he, he's in our network, and he walked through uh, having to shift his culture. He's a traditional church who had to bring about alignment from a very traditional viewpoint. And what I love about Joel's story is that you didn't do this alone. You got coaching, and uh, you walked this out for uh, several years, and then we asked you, hey, would you coach some other churches, right? And so I love the fact that you're willing to give back and share. And so when it comes to uh, shifting your culture and bringing about alignment, what are some key things that stand out to you on your journey? Yeah, thanks for letting me be here. Um, I was going to say following up on these guys, incredible job that they did. And Jim mentioned when Jesus said, you know, a church or a uh, body divided against itself won't stand, a house divided against itself won't stand. Uh, and I was going to talk about those ideas that you just shared, you know, that we've, we've got to have alignment in regards to our, our budget with our calendar, all those kinds of things. So you kind of stole my thunder a little bit there. But, um, but when we think about these kinds of ideas, one of the other things I would say is that uh, not only do those things align, but also what do we do with, with like our buildings, what do we do with our people? How do we align them around these ideas? Um, our church was not in a traditional church building. It wasn't built to be a church. We, we took over a moose lodge uh, and kind of created that space to become a church. Like our children's ministry area was at one point in time a high-stakes gambling room. Uh, <laughs> Our, our elementary school places where you went to drink alcohol with your buddies and smoke cigars and play pool, you know. So, uh, so we converted this space. And, and what we found after coming into the RDN was that, um, that when we looked at our church, everything about um, coming to our building was just, it was very sterile. It wasn't a good relational environment. And so we started working really hard to even create within our building what is what do relational environments look like? How do we let people uh, who are just standing around talking? There are relationships taking place, but they're not in environments that encourage that. And so we even really started looking and going, what do we do to increase relationship? in our churches. Then from there, we even say, okay, for our volunteers, how do we encourage relationships to happen for people who are just coming into our church? When Luke shared his story yesterday, if you got to hear that, he talked about going to, to two churches, walking in on Sunday morning, sitting down, doing the whole church thing, and leaving, never talking to a single person. What was different about when he walked into real life? Two people shook his hand. He had conversations. There was relationship. Coffee that was there. So we talk about always have coffee, right? Or hot chocolate. I don't drink coffee. So hot chocolate for people like me, okay? But when we think about that, our greeting team knows when you see somebody you don't know from our church, you identify a guest. It's, man, hey, let me introduce myself. How are you? Is this your first time here? And then they take them and say, let me introduce you to someone. They take them into our next person. and They say, hey, this is Andy. He's our small groups pastor. Let me introduce you to him. Andy says, hey, it's so great to meet you. Let me take you inside the worship center and introduce you to a host that's in here that will help you find a place where you can just sit and hang out this morning. By the time they get into our worship center, they've had three conversations. There's relationships that begin taking place. And it just becomes part of the alignment of all of this, right? And so you want everything that you do to be highly relational, highly built around these principles, these ideas. It's Jesus's method. It's his model. So while we want to push people toward relationships in homes and, and in those kinds of outside of the church, inside your church, that same stuff takes place. So. Yeah, it gives our people a chance to play, right? Because they're, they're not just saying, well, the only thing I can do is go to a small group and be a part of worship. No, you're part of what's important to us 
to make this happen. Your first first connection with people who come into our church. So play and play hard. Yeah. You know what I love is I didn't know that there was strategy behind Sunday when I first went. I never been to a church building, and. What I loved is the strategy behind the open kind of area where you could have conversations and coffee and hang out. I'm so thankful that wasn't the end of the strategy. It wasn't just to, the goal wasn't Sunday attendance because I don't think I would not be standing here. Does that make sense? My whole family would not know the Lord. So I'm so thankful that the destination wasn't acquire a crowd. So whenever you hear us talking about being intentional and how does Sunday fit into things, Sunday fits into being a disciple maker. So I'm a disciple maker wherever I go, right? Whether I'm in on Sunday or wherever. So I just want to uh, emphasize that because I love the video that they played of how to create a mega church, right? And I think it's spot on. I think you could get a, you know, because I, I come from a business perspective, I think I could raise a million dollars. No problem. Okay, I'm, I, I'm retired, so that's not a hard thing. I think I could hire amazing speaker, amazing children's, amazing worship, amazing uh, youth, and pull people from all kinds of churches in the area, and I'd probably have a big church. Okay? doesn't mean I'm making any disciples. Okay? So I hope you don't hear us saying on Sunday, be intentional, absolutely, but that's not the goal. Yeah, real quick. I think it's so important. The, uh, so the top of the funnel, we see at the top. Uh, oh, we might have the funnel. You want to see a picture of it? Sure. Yeah. Do we have a funnel picture by chance, Jason or whoever's out there? We might. We, might, we made one there. There they go. Yeah. Jim does a great job of explaining this. I'll let him explain it. The the, the piece that I would say because it, it's parts of this is that we see Sunday morning uh, near the top of the funnel, right? That that that's that's part of it for as far as where Sunday morning fits for us. But here here's the thing you've got to be careful of. Um, this, this was, this was something that we didn't realize we were doing, that we were doing, uh, in our communication was that cause it was always get in a group, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. All of a sudden they perceive the final destination's a group, not being a reproducible disciple maker. And so when you realize that your the go, end goal is being a reproducible disciple maker, getting a group is just a relational environment that's going to help lead to a discipling relationship. But they had T-shirts, join a group, join a group, join a group, join a group, right? So the, again, again, what you're communicating and what you're expecting, there was confusion. The other part that we created some confusion is that we did a fantastic job of creating really good small group facilitators and not great disciple makers. Because again, get in a group, get in a group. We need more group facilitators. We want to train you to be a good, good group facilitator. We want you to train how to ask good questions, all that kind of stuff. And we've, we realized, man, we're not making dis- reproducible disciple makers, but we've made phenomenal group facilitators. So, so when you think of alignment and you think of what, what you're communicating, make sure your language matches up and aligns with what your goals and objectives are, or you're going to create real confusion for your people, but they're trying to do what you've asked. Uh, and you've been asking maybe or pointing them to the wrong end goal. But I'll, I'll let you explain because I think this is so helpful. Yeah, um, we talk about the funnel here, the top of the funnel. And I want you to notice, you, you see the world. Jesus said, go, go into the world. He didn't say, build it and they'll come to you, right? So you go in two ways. You go as individuals and you go corporately. Two ways. One is life on life, wherever you work, live and play. The other is you're gathering people together to do something. And you want to meet the world where they're at. We call those bridges, so in our church, uh, we have what's called pastors of the day. 
These are small group leaders, people who serve, who come in. We have a food room. We feed thousands of people a, a month. When you come in, we, we, give, we, we t- tell you about Jesus. We help you with a job resume. We help you, uh, you know, we've even got the thrift store that makes money so that we can pour it into the food and the clothing, the things that we do to help people. And it's being developed by, or it's being, uh, the, the pastors of the day are all volunteers serving who are in a life group. So the bridge to the community is meet a need. We have a lifelines ministry, which that's what that is. We have a recovery ministry that meets with the jails. Our guys go down to the jails, bring them into a CR program. We have a sports and outdoors program. We even have a, 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 a five-time national championship wrestling program under 12. It's all being led by guys who got saved in our church, care about wrestling. They get to use their abilities. They're in small groups. They, 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 they take care of these kids. They win. They knock the tar out of people in Jesus' name. And then we connect them. You see what I'm saying? Sports and outdoors ministries, you name it, we'd have it. But it's designed to launch into the community. We all adopt schools. Our life groups adopt schools. We go in, we chaperone their dances. We, we clean up their stuff. We go, we're doing things individually in small groups to serve bridge to them. We go to them. So these churches that are missional, when you say you're a missional church, that to me is kind of redundant if you tell me you're a disciple-making church, because if you're a disciple-making church, you're missional. Corporately, relationally, in every possible way, you're serving, you're teaching people to serve, become ministers together organizationally. So Bridges, all the bridges are designed to tell people to move to two different, one of two different places. Weekend service, like we have a sports and outdoors program, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids, thousands of people. We have a harvest festival. We invited the kids from the wrestling programs and all the sports programs and the families to come to the harvest festival. At the harvest festival, we're inviting them to come to a weekend service. We have a play structure there. Their kids are going, play structure, play structure, Right? Everything is strategic to move them to the weekend services, which then, or they come through a life group. You get, we, they either come for a weekend service and we try to move them to a life group, or they go, get involved life on life to a life group, and then they come with the life group to the church service. Weekend service is a part of the plan, but not the weekend service alone. It's discipleship in life groups. So then you have the next steps, and, and, that, and then we have support ministries. Some of our folks, they're addicts. If we send them to a life group, the life group's not quite prepared for what's going to, if we're going to be open and honest, some of the stuff you're going to hear, they're not ready for that. So if it's intensive stuff, we have a pure desire group, sexual addiction stuff. We have recovery stuff. But even in those groups, we don't want you to be pigeonholed as a pure desire, sexual addiction person your whole life or, or an addict. We want you to move from there. And by the way, in those groups, Our best group leaders, most transparent, deepest level disciple makers are often people who come from recovery. Confessing their sins is what you learn to do. Everybody's broken. Every group should be a recovery group because we're all recovering. Right? They go, but but we get them triaged. We get them some stability. And after a while, they become our, they funnel out of there. Some are called to stay in that ministry because that's their passion and their their mission field, but a lot of them become our best small group leaders, our best disciple makers. Do you understand? But every, this is our corporate strategy. Everything goes to life groups. When you go to the life groups, you become a disciple and you start to serve 
somewhere in the body. You come up back from the bottom. You're serving somewhere in the ministry somewhere corporately, but you're also serving in some way individually. You're, you're looking wherever you work, live, and play for the, the, the hurting person, the open person. And I'm going to invite you to come to my life group with me. I'm going to invite you to come and be involved in what, what I'm doing personally. Sometimes it's the coffee first because I'm not going to a group of other people. And then to a life group. Do you understand what I'm saying? And by the way, when you're young in the faith, you're not ready to... Um, well, let me just use this analogy. I use it and I don't remember what book, but I think it works. I want you to imagine that I have a, a six-year-old kid. And where I live... He gets dropped off at the bus stop, and he's got to walk through this field up to this hill to our house. And I want you to imagine it's dinner time. We're all sitting around. And my son says, I said, what happened to you today? And he says, well, I got off the bus, and I was walking through this field, and there was a baby there in the field. Somebody had dropped a baby in the field. Where's the baby? Why didn't you grab the baby? Well, I'm not old enough to be a parent, so I just left it. I didn't know what to do with the baby. What would, I, what would I be thinking as a parent? My six-year-old, seven-year-old, what just happened? They're not old enough to be a parent, but they should be old enough to know that every kid should have a parent. What I would have rather happened is my five, six-year-old, seven-year-old goes, I'm not old enough to be a parent, but that's a baby by itself. I'm picking that baby up and I'm taking him to my parents so we can figure out what to do, Right? If you have a brand new baby in Christ, a new believer in Christ, he ought to know that he needs Jesus in a family. And so though he can't lead a group, he should have a group to go, every kid needs a family. Right? Most Christians don't know every kid needs a family because no one ever told them, no one ever plugged them into connection. They were just told to pray a prayer and be baptized and here's a pamphlet. But if a new believer, when you're discipling them and you're sharing Christ with them, go, you're being baptized right now. It's a picture of dying to self, being raised to walk in newness of life, of being born again. Every born again, just like a baby is born into the human world needs parents, you do this with a family. So we're connecting you with a family. You, these are the people that are going to walk you through this. And these people are going, that's my adopted child to help them grow up spiritually. Everybody knows SCMD, share, connect, minister, disciple, because that's just a part of what it means to be a believer as a family member of you see what I'm saying? It's good, Jim. It's good. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. What uh, you can you can tell if this diagram by itself is is incomplete. Like you can see what Bob was saying is like the destinations. If you just get him into a home group, that doesn't make a disciple, right? So what we're talking about is Jesus' methods. You know, where you have somebody that absolutely passionately loves God and loves others. They value relationship. They understand what it means to be spiritually mature. They're intentional. They invest in people. If you're a home group leader or not in a home group, but you're, what we're talking about is just putting people into a small group doesn't make a disciple. So I mentioned that because if, if this is your first session and you're looking at this and you missed the other sessions, just know that all those five components are all, all uh, build on one another. So when you're in a small group, you're in an environment with somebody that hopefully understands how to make a disciple and will journey with you for a period of time. By the way, Joel said something that's really good. In Joel? the weekend service, in what's happening at the building, you want to give them a taste of something they're going to get more of, right? Which is why it's important that you do coffee, that you do environments. It's a relational place so that 
as we get into relationship and you're brand new and you come walking in the church, if you don't already have relationship, hey, as you start to talk, as you start to care, now, hey, why don't you come with me to my house? It, it spurs on not just what Luke went through. I walk in, I walk out. Nobody gives me a bulletin. Nobody shakes my hand. It's very corporate. It's very uh, hustle people in, hustle people out. No, wait a minute. It's pause. It's stop. Hey, wh- where do you go? Like, what happened with you? Hey, you go to church here? I didn't know you went to church. No, I don't go. Hey, why don't you go to group with me? It spurred on a conversation. Good. It's good. All right. For the sake of time. Uh, hey, Mark, just raise your hand. Where's Mark Messick? Just raise your hand. Just stay there. Uh, raise your hand. Stand up, would you, Mark? Uh, okay. There's Mark Messick. Sorry, buddy. I just want to say. So if you're interested in taking the next step on the back of here is a two-day. Uh, we'll spend two days with you in a small group setting. You'll be at, put uh, eight of you in a group, two people. You'll have two facilitators from those facilitators will be churches, church leaders that are willing to fly to one of these locations, be with you for 16 hours in a dialogue situation. You can get all your questions answered and we'll do our best to model this. We limit it to about 80 to 100 leaders. So if you don't sign up, they'll be full. And if you're interested in that, Mark Messick will call you, fill out a card to say, I'm interested in taking the next step. Put your name there. We'll call you. And just leave that next steps card just on your table. And uh, that two day, that 16 hours is designed to at the end of the two days, you will have a really good idea of what we're talking about from an experiential level. All right. I want to say thank you guys for being here. Appreciate your time. Thanks for your desire to make disciples. That's it for today's episode. Check out the free visual introduction for Brandon Gindon's book on disciple making culture. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. Thanks for listening.